0: Welcome to the War Room. This is Bill Evans, your host. I'm here in Swannanoa, North Carolina, near Black Mountain, Montreat, uh, outside of Asheville, North Carolina, beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains, with uh, my friend and brother uh, and proprietor of Moments Coffee Shop and Tasty Eatery, Joseph Foreman. Joseph, welcome to the War Room again. Well, thank you. It's good to be here again. As is typical of, of our modus operandi, our conversations are organic. We're not they're not this is unscripted reality podcasting. J- Joseph, for those who don't aren't aware, was uh, one of the founders of Operation Rescue and also one of the co-founders of Mission uh, Missionaries to the Preborn with our good brother Matt Trujillo. We were talking earlier about the way the the body of Christ functions in in, in engaging the enemies of God, today versus, and we were al- we were liking it, we were drawing analogies from, since this is the war room, about how war used to be fought, and armies amassing large bodies of troops in close quarters and with certain types of weapons, and how warfare has evolved uh, into modern day asymmetrical warfare, where Technology plays a much larger role. Today, a small squad of men can literally wield as much firepower as regiments in the past. And um, so we were, we were just kind of leveraging off of that. That's everything up? No, I, I can edit any of that stuff out. Uh, and sometimes I don't just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> I edit out my us. I'm not a very good pub, I'm not a very good public speaker. I do a lot of uh as I'm thinking, and so I edit those out so I sound smarter. <laughs> but uh, other than that, no, By I don't. Way,
1: that really helps. Too.
0: I don't edit out anything my guests say because I'm trying to level the playing field. But um,
1: that's what they do for all these big preachers on radio preachers. They've cleaned all that stuff. They, oh, listen, they I I've I have to ch- t- i, I,
0: I did not take me very long to learn that the key to excellence in podcasting is editing. Editing. Mm-hmm. You don't get people to say anything you want them to say if you've got the edit button. Since God, the Holy Spirit, can grant repentance to whoever he pleases, is the fact that we don't function with greater cooperation, with a greater sense of purpose and unity and spirit of peace, what is God communicating to us? Is that that, is, that in and of itself is a judgment, it seems to me. I mean, when the body of Christ uh, breaks down and, 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 and ceases to function according to the word and the will of God, it, just like in Israel. I mean, that was a judgment. Mm-hmm. Disobedience is its own judgment, in a sense. You have been um, been in the battle since the early, early 80s, and uh, you're ordained. So nobody can say that you're Hate the church? <laughs> My instincts would be to, to be very
1: sympathetic with the, the freedom a person has. Like uh, Abolish Human Abortion Group, they have a tremendous freedom because they aren't bogged down with the day-to-day stuff that, that keeping a church running involves. And so they can say and do things that, that they're much freer to do. Your average pastor knows that if he opens his mouth on certain topics, it's he may as well just hand in his resignation. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's that's why people gravitate towards solid groups. You know, groups with structure, with constitutions, with polities, with procedures, with. Um, um, you know, if you will, all the Presbyterians really are is proto-United States Constitutionalists. It's, it's the same spirit at work. I don't think you could have had the United States Constitution apart from what the Presbyterians developed in the centuries, two centuries before. At the same time, after 2,000 years of church history, we're still dealing with the same old, same old. I mean, if the Puritans and Presbyterians were so great, what happened to all the ground we gained. In other words, if that was the end of it, if if if, if in sixteen forty we could have said, uh, thus far and no further, we have arrived, soul take thy ease, tear down your own barns and build your new you know, we would the whole world would still be
0: Presbyterian reform. Well, and, and to know. be fair to the to pastors. I thought I was being fair to pastors. I'm saying it's yeah. a <laughs> they you know, pastors are busy people. If they're doing if they're doing the job of shepherding the people in their care correctly. I mean, they marry, bury, baptize, and they're preparing sermons. And, and so they're they're busy and they have families that they have to, to raise, children they have to teach. So I wouldn't, I don't presume to know what the weekly schedule of events looks like for a, a pastor. You would. You could speak to this. How many things do you have to do or different types of things do you have to do in a given work day? Uh, the one thing, it, it, from having been around at least Presbyterian circles, to some degree or another, over a period of, of three decades, the one thing, it was never, and, and I've spoken with this with Brian, about this with Brian Abshire, we both came out of a military background, we both came out of a parachurch church background with the Navigators, something like that, where everything, and, and looking back at it, I don't think the Navigators really understand discipleship, because they don't understand the Great Commission. Because they don't understand the Great Commission to include dominion, and a cultural mandate, and discipling, making disciples of nations. They 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 perceive it. The, the, their role, their job is to make disciples from the nations. You know, people of every tongue, tribe, and people, but not of discipling nations and changing institutions and taking every thought captive any further than it affects the individual. But I didn't see even in the in the body of Christ where I was dealing with. You know, Presbyterian and Reformed, trained, seminary-trained men. It seemed to be a lot of church and not much disciple-making. Or at least, if disciples were being made, it wasn't overt. What we were talking about before
1: is something that um, I am, and tremendously encouraged. Um, at first, I was I was fairly put off by AHA. Just, it just struck me, here are some rude people. What is making them tick? What I, I really got to see was their heart, the heart of these people, um, and and also just the false accusation against them. Even where I might even agree with the accuser, oh, you don't have to be that harsh, or you don't have to be this or that. <clears throat> I, I would still kept coming back to Who do I think, if I was a baby in the womb, would I say, there goes, just to take somebody from my generation, there goes Charles Stanley. You know, by golly, that's a great preacher. Or would I, in the womb, say, there goes somebody who's trying to save my life. Whose side would I be on? And when you look at people who are taking offense at the obvious fact that abortion is still being carried out with impunity among us within the church and, and they're taking offense that somebody's telling them that they're falling short in this area I, I've got to be on the side of the person however imperfect who is just calling it to the church's attention um, totally on that side and the intriguing thing to me the more I watch them let me tell you what a pastor is is has to deal with He's got to keep this program going and that program going, and he's got to preach in a way that doesn't, just just for starters, doesn't offend about a, a hundred people who come at it from a completely different perspective. And he's got to have it make sense to Granny Smith and just right. Pre- he, he's got to do all that um, with with that task in his hands. Um, he's ex- <clears throat> To run into people who actually believe something so deeply they don't care if you hate them and they don't care if you curse at them and they don't care if you hit them he doesn't have people like that in his church it's like I would say your average pastor can't believe a person like that exists at all as a Christian because they've never run into that sort of a Christian when an AHA person comes along they're talking to pastors at the shepherds' conference, for instance. They're talking to people who have never met a Christian like them. And when Christians like them, not AJ, when a Christian like them comes into their church, all they can think of is, gotta get this guy out of here. He's gonna be a bull in a china cabinet. Because the church is so carefully balanced with all the different competing issues, and somebody comes in and slams a table and says there's truth. Well, of course we believe in truth, but you gotta be real careful how you say truth. And, and I think part of the problem between your average establishment pastor and your average disestablishment AHA is just the fact that pastors, I don't want to say are jealous in that sense, it's kind of like, what do you do with people like this? They, they can't really function in a, in a traditional committee, committee-run organization. Um, does... I. I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but 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 I think that that, that there's a a real uh, they see very different things when they look out at the same world. Um,
0: well, AHA is certainly different in a lot of different ways. One is which notable is that they don't real they're not seeking to build anything for themselves. Very much like your book Shattering the Darkness, where. You, you seem to, I mean, I think you convincingly lay out that to be an abolitionist is to be Christ-like. Let's, let's, let's switch gears just a little bit. Um, you live in a really pretty part of the country that's been, you described as bohemian. Yes. Um, Greenwich Village. Yeah. How, what, how did you mix that Greenwich Village meets... Meets the Hatfield McCoys or something. like that? Yeah, Hatfield McCoys, yeah. Uh, and you're in. You all have a unique little presence in this, in this string of, of artsy fartsy communities here, with Moments Coffee Shop and Eatery. And your wife is a world class cook. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we're not saying that just to prop her up. She really is. You know, a,
1: she is. Asheville is a foodie town. There's more good chefs in Asheville like there's a lot of good country music. Um, she's better than they
0: are. She just is. In terms, I, I once uh, sort of proposed to Ann, your wife, that she might want to do, we might want to do a, uh, a podcast sometime talking about taking dominion through food. And of course, food is a pretty prominent a uh, prop in biblical narratives and in, 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 in parables and other things. There's food is... Often yeah. portrayed meals or the, the, the table is often, uh, I call it a prop uh, in, in many of Christ's stories or the narratives of Scripture. In a, in a community like this that is, you know, like you said, artistically really an avant garde and uh, educated, bohemian, hedonistic, humanist, pagan, you know, what do you call neo pagan, whatever you call it. Uh, I'd be surprised if that you don't have, you know, a covenant of Wiccans within about ten miles. Of, within ten miles, of ten enter. feet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, what is? Let's talk about taking dominion here. Let's talk about establishing a beachhead. Would you say this shop is a beachhead? Yes.
1: Uh. One of the things that we've come to discover here is that people—I do you know the visceral reaction we tend to have, well, most anybody tends to have, towards a child abuser, for instance. It, it's not a your first response isn't rational; it's visceral. It's like I don't like this, and you're, the sort of people who come into coffee shops uh, from the secular world. Are people who are so deeply entrenched in their worldview, which is a broadly New Age humanistic. Uh, uh, the Democrats are hypocrites uh, because they're not philosophically consistent with their beliefs, and just these are people seriously committed. And and also as a part of it is is. We, we all do love each other and we care for each other and we don't care about rules and regulations and laws or God's law or anything it's just we all have to get along it's, it's a real hodgepodge they don't really think through all of this but there's certain things that literally the words themselves um, get a negative reaction <clears throat> and um, for them an evangelical Christian they're visceral response to that is uh, is the way you feel like is a visceral response to a child abuser they they view them as abusive people who are destructive who are murderous um, who uh, just are arrogant, prideful committing, doing all the things that they do
0: but pretending that we don't uh, so hypocrites. Let, we're worse than knuckle dragging Neanderthals. We're yeah, like, yeah, we're, yeah. like very, we're like a what a, bi- a biblical Marquis de Sade. Right.
1: Yes, exactly. No, that 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 is is a very good way of putting it. If all you were, Bill, were, were stupid, we could get along with that. I'm speaking as they would. Yeah, it's okay, Bill. I can handle stupid people. But you're not. You're evil, and that's how they view it. They they view you and somebody holds that as being an, actually an evil person. And so, right off the bat, to in any way uh, talk about the Lord about to just quote the Bible um, is to them would be kind of a it's like whoa whoa whoa, whoa 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 why are you quoting that book? That's a book of misogyny. That's a book of slavery. That's a book of rape. That's a book of that's how they see it. Such so that if you had Bible verses on the wall, it would hurt your business. Oh without it without a doubt unless you put them up there in a humanistic way that can be done too here's another thing though bill any number of them i will say can i pray for you oh yes please do pray for me yeah you want to pray right now yes yes let's just pray right now so we pray i pray for them it's like the, the the spiritual stuff they don't mind is as long as they don't think I'm one of them
0: damn Christians. Um. Well, they think they think Jesus Christ was a Reiki master, huh?
1: Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing too is they know that Anne and I are Christians. Part of one of the advantages of being our age, Bill, is that they kind of expect people of our age to be sort of strange. Um. And also, they expect you to be harmless. Harmless, yes, exactly. That that's another important thing. The reason they don't react to what I say is is because it's irrelevant. It's like, you know, so the retarded guy said something.
0: Okay, I'm not going to get offended at that. Um, it's, it's kind of like... Do they let you pray with them because they actually think that prayer is a good thing, or they're just too... Sensitive to want to hurt your feelings. Yeah. Well, it might be that too, but it, it's being positive, positive, Positive. Oh, I want to get those thing. vibes. Positivity. Call is down anything. the positive and energy is, in the universe. Prayer is positive. Yeah, and and, and and Jesus is just a conduit for some of the positive energy in the universe.
1: Yeah, but it's always interesting as long as, long as it's not the biblical Jesus. <laughs> I, I know I'm coming to in Jesus' name. I know that we're coming to a potential place where. If they actually understood what I meant by in Jesus' name, they would be offended. If they just think that all I'm doing is invoking my mantra, then it's okay. Yeah. Um, and and so in a sense, it's it's a very kind of a well, it's it's totally compromised. I we needed to expand the business, and I needed to buy a uh, uh, a van. Couldn't afford it, and so I I realized that if I if I Uber three nights a month, I can pay make the payment on the van and uh, uh, even have some money left over to spend and do the insurance. I'm, I mean, just, you know, I can make about $400, 500 in about three or four nights and I can, you know, I can pay for things. So I started doing that. Well, around here, you have lots of destination weddings, which is also means destination bachelorette parties and, and bachelor parties. And so I'm driving around at two o'clock in the morning with some of the most vulgar people on earth um, and and about every, every third third party um, they'll say so are you married Tell us about marriage and I found this to be an excellent opportunity to talk to them about uh, the gospel that hey they asked me and I say yeah I've, I've been married 40 years and we have eight kids On more than one occasion I've had a bride in tears say did it work how did that happen? What's your secret? And just, just be, being able to say, well, you asked me, it's not a secret. It's it's, it's really a public fact. Um, it's it's not our commitment to Jesus Christ. It's the commitment of Jesus Christ to us. When there is somebody who is backing you and your husband up 100%, it makes the inevitable problems you're going to face a context in which there's a person who cares more than you do. But to me, I've always seen stuff like that. This started back with, with the whole Operation Rescue it was just... My heart always went out to the pro-aborts and the pro-death and the death-scorts and all of them, uh, because I felt like I felt like Jesus must have felt like when he saw the uh, rich young ruler and some of these other people. They they have a zeal. They they care. And the way I was describing the local church as being, I don't know. I I'm just desperate to see people who actually care. And that's that's. Even if they care about the wrong thing, sometimes I think they're close to you know. Jesus didn't say that the rich young ruler was saved, but he says he's he's not far from the kingdom. And sometimes I and I don't think that zeal and sincerity and all of that saves you. I'm not saying that at all. But when somebody actually believes, it's it's C.S. Lewis, and I think in Screwtape Tape letters, um, where Screw Tape is saying you have to be very careful because the ground you're walking on is the truth, and any time you you try to say something true. You're on the enemy's ground, the enemy being God. Um, anytime you try and tempt somebody with an appetite, and that's the damnable thing about it, Screwtape says, is all the appetites are God's. Um, we don't have anything we have to offer them. The most we can do is corrupt them. And uh, so, so when I see people who are, are worked up enough to be screaming at me or upset with me, it's like I, f- I feel like there's somebody God can do something with. Uh, when I see people just sitting in the pew Sunday after Sunday wondering how they're going to make it through a, another week, I always wonder, can even God do something with them? It's the people in AHA, I just think, here are people who really believe, they really care, they don't even have to be converted. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's, it's, it's not like, wow, what could God do with them? It's like, what is God doing with them? Take a look at it. These are people, and sometimes I've said the curse of AHA, it's a movement of leaders with no followers. Um, you know people say, well how, how do they do all that? Well they're a movement of their, their leaders. Um, they really probably couldn't do it if, if you made them all get together in the same room and pass some bylaws, it'd probably be the end of what everything they're trying to do um, because that's not what they do. They, they go make things happen. It's I hope I'm not treading on anybody's toes politically. I'm not endorsing any candidates or anything like that, but I will say, When you look at the difference between putting an entrepreneur in the White House versus a politician, it's like it is night and day. He does not approach anything the same way that that all the Congress does, the politicians do. And I'm not, there's a lot of things about Trump I don't like, but when you step back and look at what happens when you get somebody who hasn't been schooled his entire life by the political niceties, but rather by just, we get the job done. And you put them in a room full of people for whom nuance and political niceties are, are, are everything. I'm saying, that's your basic AHA. They haven't been trained in how to be housebroken in church. They haven't been trained in how not to offend somebody. It, it's like not in their vocabulary. It's not in what they do. They, they stand up um, and they say, well, this, they're, they're little children who say, why are we dancing around the fact that the king is naked? Why is the king offended? He ought to be thankful to the little boy for saying he's naked. Uh, Now he has a chance to put on some clothes. Um, And and also, you can't help... I think of the things they say very similarly to what Jesus said, and I can't remember to which church he said it to in the book of Revelation. Um, You're naked, you're cold, you're hungry, uh, you're blind, can't you see... You know, get clothes, get get salved for your eyes. Um, and all AHA is saying is what Jesus is saying. You guys, and, and that's the other thing. The pastors preach on those texts and they make very similar points. I haven't said anything that probably any pastor preaching on the text to his congregation wouldn't say. It's like this isn't some strange teaching I've come up with. Um, it's, it's how you would preach that text. You would talk about how is the church uh, we 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 tend to become blinded by the way we always do things, and therefore we can't see outside our box. I mean that's how you would preach it.
0: So what's what's interesting when you watch these apologetic encounters, these street preaching encounters on college campuses around the country, doesn't hedonism and atheism are in vogue? Yeah, and not even argued for; it just is. Obviously, I mean I would think that a a, a traditional, whether it be a traditional Presbyterian church or a traditional particular polity or, 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 or doctrine they have in an area like this, it would it's simply a, a fossil of a bygone age. It's, a, it's essentially irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's a relic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a relic of like the Jedi, you know, that ancient religion that nobody practices anymore. And then you've got the happy-clappy emerging church where it's basically, what does it look like when you begin to impact and actually Build a I mean, you've been in this area now all your life. What's a reasonable goal for this area? Uh, 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 you know, here you have... You're, you uh, you're armed with the ultimate weapon. And you're deep in enemy territory. How do you deploy that weapon effectively? I don't have an answer to that question. I, I
1: first of all, think that you can't stereotype that the most traditional church in this area has plenty of people who that's, that's how they'll respond to the gospel that's what will make sense to them um, <clears throat> there are I don't want to say cutting edge church but, but culturally very relevant churches That and, and, and when I say churches I mean they're really preaching the gospel I'm not talking about marginal efforts but I mean genuine men and women who are, who are engaging uh, the city and engaging some of the people we've been talking about um, one of the questions which I always have is, where would I take, where is the, the, the Jeff Durbin that I would take um, somebody who wandered in uh, here from Warren Wilson College? Where would I say, hey, let's go to church or, or some of our workers back in the back? Um, where would I take them? Two different generations that I think are very, very similar It's the millennials and the '60s. Uh, The '60s are now because they're past. We now know what to call them, and we call them hippies and things like that, and the sex revolution and the cultural revolution, and all that. In the '60s, where they were still some still some of them were still being called beatniks. Beatniks from the '50s, yeah. Yeah. But but the point is, looking back, it's easy to categorize and define what they were. Mm -hmm. It's just as hard to categorize the people today as it was back then to categorize. What was going on socially um, with America, with with the people here, and I think though what you have is in the '60s was a generation of people who didn't see life in the in the hard work their parents had gone to to build the world as they knew it after World War II, and the parents were not particularly philosophically reflective, having just come through the depression and the Great World War, they were just happy to be able to live their lives and freedom and do lots of cool stuff and have money and be able to spend it. And the kids just reacted to that and were looking for something spiritual. And out of that came um, a, a, a great turning back to Jesus Christ. or turning forward. See, I don't think they turned back to Jesus. I think they turned forward to Jesus. Because who were the people who came out for Operation Rescue? It was the 60s people. Um... Who are the people who were the moral majority? Well, that was sort of the tail end of the old traditional Christians in America. Uh, who are the people who were the, um, uh, oh, what do you call them, the Tea Party movement? Those were a lot of the 60s Christians. And today, what you have in the millennial generation, I'm, I'm not comparing it to them because I think they'll do the same thing, quote-unquote, same. I'm comparing it to them because you have people who, who are extremely dissatisfied with the lack of answers they find in in society around them, and most of them, yes, because of the university, have turned to a, a collectivist solution and and the great world of man. And if we can just get all mankind together and kumbaya, but they've they've rejected. Um, so so they they found no life in the culture as it was presented to them. And I think they really are asking the same kinds of questions that God will answer.
0: You know, I was just thinking... Uh, or he'll use them to destroy us. I was just thinking because I've got my 32-year-old, soon-to-be 33-year-old second son riding with me. We have discussions like this. It just occurred to me as you were talking there is that, you know, me being, having been born in the early 50s, and him being born in the 80s. I don't even know how he identifies or if he identifies. But it occurred to me just now as you were talking there that I should not expect that as, he, that as a person of that age
1: mm-hmm.
0: comes to faith in Christ, given his, the, the experience that he's had, the, the forces that he's been exposed to, it's probably wrong headed for me to expect the outworking of his faith to look like the outworking of my faith. I would agree with that. It's yeah. the same faith, uh, but it's going to look entirely different. I'm thinking of, uh, in terms of, through, and again, we always tend to either t- touchstone, touch back on this question of ecclesiology and the form following function, mm-hmm. and, and thinking, well, these people are. Uh, are almost by nature suspicious of authority because they're there in the internet age and they've learned that of, of the military industrial complex and how even further it goes beyond that and is there such a thing as a disestablishment reconstructionist a person who thinks the way forward is not in investing more resources into the existing institutions, but tearing them down completely.
1: Let me tell you, I, that's what I forgot earlier. That, what, what you just raised just now is what, back when I said I forgot what I was going to say. The, um, historically, what AHA is trying to do would fall apart very quickly. And so all of us older, seasoned people who know how the world works and have run our churches and been a part, one of the reasons you have the church paradigm as it is, just the traditional, not I mean traditional and old fogey, I just mean, you know, you have your, it's run by committees, you have your polity and all this th- your ducks in a row, and you may be like a Baptist or a Catholic or a Presbyterian. But, but the point is, it's an institutional church, and it has its things that keeps it going. The reason you do it that way is because it's impossible to adequately keep touch with people in any other environment. Why is the local church so critically important? Because if, if you don't spend some time together in the same room... Um, you're not going to be able to sufficiently bond with each other. It's, it's like the husband and wife who never see each other. You know, It's like, how can they build their relationship? Togetherness is structured by an organization which is identified as all the things that are in an organization. You have your statement of purpose, your committee, your how you discipline in it, all that. It's a group. What's happened today is, <clears throat> and I don't know if it'll work, because it's, we're only like five or six or ten years into it. What's happened today is, you can now get um, all the young Reconstructionists together in America, and on a regular basis have them talking to each other every evening, or listening to what, listening to our conversation every evening, or listening to somebody else's conversation. This is what Facebook is. This is what chat rooms are. It's a it's. It leapfrogs in in the same way that going to university online leapfrogs the brick-and-mortar university and the the brick-and-mortar professor who has his room and everybody comes into it and he's able to to eyeball-to-eyeball pick on him and tear him apart and do whatever professors do. The internet just leapfrogs all of that. 30 years ago, what Russell Hunter is doing would never work because there's no way to get everybody together effectively. Today, everybody every night can follow everything Russell says. Can follow everything you or I say if they want to. Can follow Miss P. Can follow, you name the people out there. Um, and so, do you need to get them all into the same room? Well, here, uh, uh, I, I sh- or they'll fall apart.
0: That's what I mean. Organizationally, they won't fall apart. I think of education. Uh, several generations ago, you know, it was important to go to the state university. Now you can get MIT's courses online for free. Yeah. So it's not necessary to submit yourself to the constraints or the parameters or the rules of these old line institutions when really what you're after is the information. You're not after the experience or the degree or the the the, the letter jacket or the checks. It 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 seems to it, it seems to me that part of the in, in times past and maybe this is still true, maybe this is something we can talk about are we are we, are we seeing the end of an era and the beginning of another era and in terms of ecclesiology where the church, one of its unspoken primary roles as quote-unquote a pillar of society was to provide continuity. The needs for that are not being met now in the same way. The
1: only place i disagree is the universalizing of it. It's not like everybody's needs aren't getting met, it's that there's now a whole generation growing up that just doesn't look at the ball of wax the same way. They see something different. Do the tools exist now to be able to have a far more decentralized, in the same way that in business, you don't have to go into the office for many businesses. You can telecommute, as as they say. What aspects of the ministry and the work and the unity and the function of the church can be done through telecommunication? The structure that was provided by the building, the building, the programs, the classes, uh, Sunday school, church, those that structure may be able to be supplemented in a way through the net. And through the tools through
0: through a communication tools that the net provides. Well while, while the technology does not allow me to know more people, or you to know more people, it does allow more people the ability to know us. I think you just became a guru with
1: that one. It is not how many people I know, it's how many who know me. One of the early pioneers in Christian radio once said to me that, that he said, um, the interesting thing about radio is if you put up your little coat hanger antenna that covers 10 miles, within six months, you will have everybody in that area who agrees with you and who is moved by you tuning into it. And um, obviously, if you have a 50,000-watt station, it's, it's even more so. And I think the Internet's like that. It's uh, Jeff, Jeff Durbin, uh, a generation earlier, would have been a big steeple preacher, and he would have had a church if he had been in Atlanta, probably had 5,000 people, and then that would have turned into a, some sort of a, of a teaching ministry and a seminar ministry and stuff like that. Um, and if he, was, if he really is skilled in all this, you know, if he's a Charles Stanley with the right team behind it, you know, he might have a worldwide impact. Today, Jeff Durbin, on a, on a teeny tiny fraction of that effort, is able to have a worldwide ministry. Well, first of all, it's a worldwide ministry, period, whether he's any good at promoting it or not. But what it takes to promote it is almost nothing by comparison. And um, he can do the whole thing out of his garage. Thirty years ago, I would look at everything AHA is doing and saying, I'd give it four years, three years. Not a chance. Today, I would say there is no there is no beginning to tell the potential here because... An, I'll tell you the biggest thing lacking with evangelicalism today. Nobody believes it. The people leading it don't believe it. thats I, I know that's a little bit offensive and radical, but it's true. They don't believe it, because when they run into people who act like it's true, it's like, hey, we're
0: the shepherds. Go back to the abortion clinic. Going back to the original analogy of how things were done years ago, whether you're talking about industrialization, mm-hmm. where you had to have Big, massive plants, and now they can they can have three uh, D printers. Oh, book publishing is a good example. Yeah, self publishing and,
1: and well, yeah, the whole thing like that. But I mean, even the big time publishers, what they do is
0: when a book is ordered, they can basically have the whole thing printed up and put together. Uh, the ice machine is giving us our cue to skidoo Basically, the idea in all these different think about all these different areas of society and production, whether it be homeschooling and being able to. To give your, provide your children a world-class curriculum over a PC in the corner or whether it would be able to pr- produce a book, self-publish it with Amazon and have them printed out in on your doorstep in 48 hours whether it is um, how the body of Christ functions as an outpost or as a beachhead in a society claiming the gospel and are discipling the nation the fact is, is that times they are a-changing the we, tools we have are changing. Yeah. And uh, we call them tools of dominion. And I've often said that the tools that God has given us suggest to me that His plans for our tactics and our in the future of our endeavors going forward far exceed our expectations. Whatever your vision, it's too small. If, if you
1: were in 1490, not even knowing that Columbus was setting out, um, there were no Presbyterian churches. There were no Baptist churches as such, like we would in any way picture them today. Even the Anabaptists were not structured like they are today. Um, if somebody started talking about a polity alternative to basically the monarchical um, Roman or or, or uh, a Byzantine or, or uh, model uh, Orthodox model it, it's like they would have been crazy I mean, what are you talking about it wouldn't have made sense it took 200 years for the change to, to develop and with that change people started realizing politically you don't have to be stuck with a monarchical model and so they started developing things like parliaments and you know the whole history of everything leading up. its As we're trying to take a look at what the tools today give us, we're not trying to get people to function in some way that human beings can't function. We're saying, what is this, the, the structure of human self-government in a context where you have the tools that we have today and the background and experience of the last 4,000 years of human history? Uh, two thousand years ago, they didn't have that experience. Of four thousand years, they only had two thousand years, um, three thousand years. How does it work, based on the shoulders we stand on, the people, uh, the, the the tools that we have? What can we do? We don't have to be limited by the structures any more than they did in 1490, and for, in 1590, and 1690, and 1790. They didn't need to be limited by a by how high the tide came up the last time, um, and that's why I'm I'm very in. That's why I'm very open to the people who say, Well, what if we did it this way? And that's why I I wouldn't for a minute dis, discount AHA. The, this is the way believers look. I can tell you this: the Puritans looked a whole lot more like them than they do like the pastors in the churches today.
0: It just occurred to me when we were talking. It, Mark Zuckerberg may have, in his own way, facilitated the advance of the gospel in ways that Gutenberg never could have imagined. There you go. That's all I'm
1: saying. What can you do with the printing press? What can you do with, with Facebook? What can you do with Twitter? What can you do with... Uh, oh, I, I... But the mere fact that the President of the United States is using Twitter, is, is, is directly communicating with Americans without an intermediary, and you can say whatever you want to about the medium, you can say whatever you want to about anything else, but the real problem the media faces is their their, their their own anachronism, their own irrelevance, because now all of a sudden we don't need to have the priestly class to tell us what a political... You now have the head of any, any government anywhere in the world able to leapfrog the priestly class that interprets what God is saying on the mountain. Um, he doesn't need the interpreters anymore.
0: He can well, speak directly. Well, to it's us. the same thing with the same thing with like the biblical uh, uh, the the Bible study tools that are available on your smartphone now. I mean, who who needs to go to a, a seminary when you've got lexicons and thesauruses and entire commentary sets by the reformers on your smartphone? No longer will it be said,
1: uh, "Come and learn of, of the Lord," because each will know of me from the least of them to the greatest. They won't need a teacher. Um, I'm not sure that makes the teaching class defunct, but it's that sense in which um, the bottom line of Christianity when everything is said and done is God speaks to you. Not He speaks to you through me, so listen closely. Uh,
0: but God speaks to you. Well this, this is a thought too, is that when a lot of young hipster millennials they come, to, they, let's say they find themselves in a Reformed Baptist Church, or uh, like like apologia, are uh, that's that's unapologetically no on words intended. uh I mean, he's postmillennial, theonomic, Calvinist, pre- a good preacher, or Presbyterian. That sort of the thing to do to identify yourself is to grow big, thick. Old school beers, so you look like R.L. Dabney or, 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 or J.C. Ryle, and, and drink craft beer and have and wear T-shirts with pictures of John Calvin. Think instead of why? Why are they? And that, and that is sort of a throwback. It's like okay, now that you, now that you've come to this, you have got to go back four hundred years to so that you know to get your bearings. The question I'm wondering is is that who are the next Calvin's? Because we're not done reforming. No, and we ne- and we won't be. Well, is, and you see, that's why the centrality
1: of Scripture is important. Because the Scripture keeps weeding out people when they go too far afield. As long as you've got the Scripture, it's okay if Baudrillard makes some mistakes. It's okay. The church will survive. God will survive somehow. We will survive. Um, he doesn't have to be perfect. He has to always and everything he says, which is what he does.
0: Keep pointing to the scriptures. Yeah, I've never heard Bois or I once ever say, believe it because I said it. Absolutely.
1: And, and and that's the thing about everybody out there. It's not just unique to him. Uh, but everybody out there has the Word of God. And uh, again, you compared uh, Gutenberg to... Uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg, Gutenberg
0: to Zuckerberg when you have now the tools. Listen, this has been real. Thank it's you. It's been fun. Food was definitely good. company's always good. Uh, we think we would make it better if we were spending the night. We're going to have some pop of cork and, and have a smoke. <laughs> Joseph, thanks again for joining us, and thank all of you for joining us here on The War Room.
1: Thank you for joining us in The War Room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by My Soul Among Lions.